I'm Maya Garantz. And I'm Rebecca Cohen. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. And in this episode, we are going to continue what we started last episode. We have been talking about mafia movies and television shows and the whole narrative of the mafia in American culture and how that connects to the Trump administration and how people view Trump and how he seems to view himself. Absolutely. And I think what we're realizing is that so much of what allows Trump to get away with what he gets away with is because we are reading him as the figure of the mafia, Don. And that allows him a certain kind of permission. So we're like, how how is his performance working when he smashes all political norms? Yeah. It's because he's actually fitting into the performance of a different norm. It's not like he's some weirdo who we don't even understand what that character is. We do understand what that character is. It's a character that's been given to us through movies and through these kind of texts. There is a text that allows us to read him. And it's very much connected to this idea of the mobster. Definitely. And the mobster is a figure that our culture admires, whether we openly want to acknowledge that or not. We could call him an anti-hero figure, but it's pretty clear that the mobster, the mafia don, the mob boss is somebody who's super competent, who's powerful, who commands loyalty and respect. And so anyone who is already going to admire Trump is going to be comfortable viewing him through that lens. They're not going to see uh, necessarily a problem with that, especially if they're already predisposed to feel skeptical of legitimate institutions that the Mafia Don is working outside of. So last week we sort of set up the sort of general tropes of Mafia movies. We set up the ways in which we see this vibrating under Trump generally. This week, we really want to focus on the figures of the business mogul slash mafia Don, and then also the character of the fixer, uh, which is this wonderful sort of, uh, God, what's the relationship between like the barnacle and the whale? Help me. (laughs) I've been drinking. Uh, Symbiotic. Is that what you're going for? Yes. The (laughs) fixer and the boss have this symbiotic relationship that we have come to understand and read. And I feel like that is Trump and Michael Cohen. All right. So let's get into it. So we're going to look at both of those figures. Yeah. Let's talk about this figure of the fixer in the mafia Mm. narrative. I want to start there. The example that comes to mind as being the sort of paragon of the fixer is Tom Hagen. Oh, yes. The Godfather. Mm -hmm. So in, in this case, he's the conciliary. His role is as advisor and helper, but most importantly, he's sort of like that guy behind the scenes who really gets the shit done and cleans up the messes. Yes. He's not actually part of the mafia family per se, right? He's not in line to become the next godfather. No one's going to be taking orders from him. But he's totally necessary to their operation 
they can't really function without him because he's working behind the scenes to make the logistics happen. Well, what's also interesting about Tom Hagen is that you're not a wartime conciliary. He's not a Sicilian. He was like adopted into the family. So he's always going to be an outsider. And he became a lawyer. So they could have somebody who was kind of legitimate in that way. Earlier conciliaries were not lawyers. He went to law school. He got his legitimacy cred so that he could sort of do his job with some of those tools, which makes him a very interesting character. That's true. And and there is kind of a trope there, too, which is the, the mafia lawyer. Mm-hmm. who sometimes is the conciliary and it sometimes is the fixer, not always. But oftentimes in mafia narratives, there's the crooked lawyer who mm-hmm. helps to navigate the legal system and, you know, helps the criminals when they get in trouble with the law and finds them legal ways to achieve their ends and things like that. Or or almost legal ways. Right, right, He's right. He's like the loophole, the loophole finder. Guy. Yeah, yeah. And the person who maybe manages enough relationships with people who are legitimate but crooked. The person who's related to the crooked cops. The um, There's the scene in The Godfather where they're deciding to shoot the cops. Mm-hmm. And Michael says... Oh, well, you know, nobody's ever shot a cop, but what if he's a crooked cop? He's involved with drugs. I mean, we have journalists on the payroll, don't we, Tom? And Tom says, yes. And he says, they might like a story like that. And Tom says, I think they might. So you realize that this person can hold the levers of legitimate power and be the go-between mm. between legitimate power yes. and, and the criminal, power. criminal element. Yeah, that's really good assessment. So in films, there's, the, there's actually a lot of different sort of types of fixer characters you might see. Um, so the one you described is sort of like the conciliary character. There's also fixers more along the lines of the wolf in uh, Pulp Fiction. That, mm. who literally comes in when shit hits the fan and is there to fix it. He comes in yeah. when everything goes to hell so he can fix it. Literally cleans the brains off the wall. Yeah, like exactly. that's his. <laughs> well, arguably uh, the joke of that scene, right? Is that yes. everyone makes yes. this big deal about, oh, the wolf's going to come and fix everything and he just like tells them to clean up. Right. <laughs> so the point here is that w- what we're getting at is that Michael Cohen calls himself Trump's fixer. And Mm. article after article, headline after headline, refer to him as Trump's fixer. So he clearly has cultivated this image of himself. So we want to look at how that figure in narrative compares to who he is and how he's behaved. So I was just trying to think of other examples of fixers. Uh, There's not actually, it's actually somewhat hard to think of one's that compare to like a Tom Hagen type. There's Mike Ermintrout from Breaking Bad. Did you watch Breaking Bad? You know, I never got into Breaking Bad. That's oh. another conversation for yeah, later. We'll have that conversation yeah. another time. Yeah. He's kind of more in the vein of the wolf, like a character who's called in when shit goes bad. Mm-hmm. Jodie Foster in Inside Man. She is totally that character. She is 100% that character. That's what she is. She's the person who holds the lever on the mayor. She has something on everyone. Yes. So she knows how to like 
make it happen. And there's something very sexy about, must be very sexy about thinking that you're that kind of fixer, which Michael Cohn probably is not. I know. That's actually really interesting to think, like, of the character types that one would see in a mafia narrative, which one do I most want to see myself as? Like, I wouldn't want to see myself as the fixer. I guess I can see how you would like that because, or one would like that. Because, yes, the fixer isn't out for glory for him or herself, right? They are... They are powerful behind the scenes. They know everybody. They have something on everybody. Yeah, they have to be clever. They have to be smart. They have an encyclopedic understanding of the bigger world. Yeah. So that when a problem comes up, they're the ones who can say, oh, I'm going to find tab A over here and put it into slot B over here. And that's going to fix this. Like, that kind of confidence mm. and to be needed in that way. And this idea that you're always going to pay your bills because you, at the end of the day, no one can do what you do. Right. And so you are going to be needed in that way. So that brings me to the TV tropes. I hope everyone's familiar with TV tropes. TVtropes.org is a... Um, collection of all the different tropes that one might find in media. And it's incredibly comprehensive. And if you've never been there, I don't know what's going on, but it's a rabbit hole and you'll get lost. But <laughs> like you will spend days because there's everything's linked to another thing. You know, they're like, here's the conciliary trope, which is here's some subsets of it. The, the, the dirty lawyer, and so you can click on that and it talks about the dirty oh lawyer trope. God. And there's like, yeah, oh my God. Oh, it's amazing. Oh no, how did I miss this? At the <laughs> end of each article, they have a list of examples and film, television, comic books, manga, like animation, every genre, not genre, every medium that you could imagine. Uh, and it's all, it's like a wiki. It's all crowdsourced. So I was looking at the TV tropes entry for the conciliary uh-huh. and the first paragraph I read it and I was like, this is Michael Cohen's self image. This is who he thinks he is. So I just want to read a little bit. Yes, please. A number two, who is the number one's voice of reason. Their advice is valuable to the boss because they're usually right, which puts them in a unique position to speak truth to power when other staff might be scared to contradict the boss. This kind of job security is largely self-reinforcing. The boss won't fire him because he needs his uniquely honest advice, but he only has the freedom to be honest because he knows the boss won't fire him. Often the smartest guy in the room or just a calming influence to a hot-blooded boss. There's a high likelihood of his being a retained lawyer. Wow. I, I feel like if you asked Michael Cohen to describe his role in relationship to Trump, that's how he would imagine it. I also want to note that this is an amazing website because the number of links, the number of hyperlinks just in that brief paragraph <laughs> yeah. that Rebecca just read, yeah, there's I like, could see myself yeah. really losing losing some time on this website. But I think Fair that warning. that's that is so that is so interesting. I'm the calm, smart guy. 
I'm the boss whisperer. I can like calm this guy down. He's never going to fire me. He keeps me around so I can like be honest with him. Right. And he keeps me around because he needs me Mm -hmm. because I'm the one who fixes things. Wow. So what does Michael Cohen actually fix for Trump? As far as we know so far, he pays off women that Trump has slept with to get them to be silent or arranges for tabloids to pay them. And not just Trump. Oh, that's right. I mean, it's the same with the like Republican, huge Republican donor and Michael Cohen managed the $1.6 million payout to the woman who like got an abortion like oh my god I, I know it's so sorted there's something about this shit that is just so like nasty it's so fucking sorted <sighs> and then also what's he doing for Hannity well this is interesting to me he is a lawyer but he really has no clients and that was how right. the whole Hannity thing came out right he's a lawyer but his clients are Trump and two other people, one of whom it turned out was Sean Hannity. Oh and my and God. Sean Hannity Sean Hannity insists that he's not his lawyer. Which right. Is, which is like, well, right. that's not what Michael Cohen's lawyer said in front of a judge, but okay. The impression that I have is that there's actually some ambiguity there. That maybe mm. Sean Hannity really thinks that he didn't actually retain this guy, but that would make sense within their sort of pseudo-mafia world that they imagine themselves to be in. Right. Nobody talks to Tom Hagen about attorney-client privilege. Nobody is like, wait, is this billable hours? (laughs) You know? Like, you just get your advice from him. There's You don't worry about the technicalities of whether he's on retainer or not. He's your guy. He's your fixer. Right. He's, and he's part of the team. Yes. I mean, that's the thing is that Tom Hagen, it's not like he has some outside life other than the family. Right. right. His life is the family. He is in the fucking family. And he doesn't have any other clients. No, no. (laughs) So, uh, another thing that apparently Michael Cohen tried to fix for Trump involved this trip to Prague. According to the Steele dossier, he went to Prague to meet with the Russians, but the purpose of that trip seems to be cover-up. Yes. He's supposed to have gone there to engage in some activity that was supposed to cover up the details of Trump's relationship with Russia. Oh, now he claims he's never been to Prague, but uh, so far the Steele dossier has been pretty well corroborated, and I feel like that's just a matter of time. Can we just take a brief moment just to talk about the fact that Trump did spend the night in Russia and like the P tape is just so, so real? The P tape is real. It's it's real. It is like it's real. 100%. It can be compromised. They might have like peed on the bed. Maybe Trump did not choose for these hookers to like mm. piss on the bed, mm. but they did this to trap him into some kind of compromise. But oh it my is god, I hadn't even thought of that. But that that yeah. would make a lot of sense, which would f- which would feed well into what Comey claims, which is that 
Trump just kept saying to him, like, I would never, I would, I am a germaphobe. I don't want girls to pee on me and so forth, which is like, I could see, right. that, I could see that. Like, maybe he didn't even want it, but. Yeah. 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 But, but the pee tape is just so, so <laughs> real. Okay. That's a, that's a side note. So we've talked about this character of the fixer which Michael Cohen does perhaps not very well, but, you know, effectively enough that he's sort of stayed on this job. So then let's turn this back to the character of like the mogul, the Don, the, so the fixer is the number two. He's like the all purposes Mm -hmm. problem solver. Right. But he cannot exist without, he, he revolves. He's the moon revolving around the planet. The number one, if you will. Yes, he needs the number one. You know, pun intended. This gets us to something I think we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And I think actually this is giving us a way into it. What is Trump? Like, how does he manage to sort of win this ability to be present i think it's true that he could shoot somebody in the middle of fifth avenue Mm -hmm. and be fine like he gets away with all of this stuff because of this kind of performance of this character and i feel like we're finding our way to what that character is and that's well put and i think that seeing him as a mafia don is a piece of it Mm. but there is this other figure who's connected to the mafia don okay the business mogul the powerful businessman character. Mm, okay. Very often in fiction, this character is operating not as completely illegally, not by a completely separate set of rules and codes like a mafia don, but he's definitely operating unethically, engaging in illegal activity, but but more also engaging in legitimate legal activity so that there's this, uh, there's this intersection mm-hmm. of the illegal and unethical with this public face of being a legitimate businessman. Right. The, the, the primary example would be Gordon Gecko. From oh, Wall yeah. Street. Yeah. So Gordon Gecko is the perfect example. And I think if you want to understand who people think Trump is, Gordon Gecko might be the best framework for seeing that. He's wealthy and powerful. He's a wealthy and powerful business mogul. He is doing illegal shit behind the scenes, but he's just playing the game and being really fucking good at it. That's right. And he's the one who's willing to stand up and say greed is good. And he even has a specious kind of justification for that assertion that wins over all the shareholders at the meeting right. where he says it, right? He's so he's legitimizing your greed. He you know, I mean it's the 80s. He's legitimizing your materialism. And you know that his argument for it doesn't really hold water, but that's not what matters. What matters is this sort of wink, wink acknowledgement. Like, look, what do we all, what do we all want? We all want a big house and beautiful women and lots of cocaine and, and a, um, 
a cordless phone that you could talk on while you walk on the beach. Man, right, right, I mean, right. it was so glamorous. And the way you get that is by compromising your ethics and doing what you got to do and playing the game and winning the game. I have to say, this brings me to something which is like one of one of the things that enrages me about Republicans that I know is that they hold Democrats to these really high standards and they call them out on anything on everything. Mm -hmm. And then when you point out the failings of the Republicans, they go, well, all politicians are corrupt. Oh, yeah. It's like there is this way in which the innate corruptness of people in power. It's like they, they can't hold their own leaders to that standard. And then they go, you know what? It's all a swamp. It's all bad. It's all corrupt. So those rules don't even matter. And we just want to win. And mm-hmm. I feel like that is exactly where the Gordon Gecko figure fits in mm-hmm. where he's like, come on guys, we know all of these rules are bullshit, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's exactly what Trump is. Exactly. I agree. I think you hit the nail on the head it also connects to the ways that he throws doubt on facts and truth, right? He calls shit fake news and calls legitimate news, you know, mainstream news sources just like flat out calls them liars. And right. you're like, how, how could, how do people listen to that? Like, why would they believe that CNN is just flat out lying? But it's part of a strategy where you're basically asserting that everybody lies. So then when Trump lies and he says one thing and does another and says one thing and then says the opposite thing the next day, it doesn't matter. Everybody lies. That's just part of the atmosphere. That's just part of the culture and the way everything works. Everybody lies. So we might as well lie too. So, oh yeah. So I, I do feel like this Gordon Gecko type character, this this business mogul character, is connected to the mafia character in that the the mafia character is also a businessman, mm-hmm. and ultimately that's what mafia movies are about, right? They're about business. Like, don't ask me about my business. Um, right. It's just business that's being conducted in this shadowy realm that is outside legitimate spheres and institutions. So the the corrupt or or unethical business mogul is doing the same thing as the mafia don in a lot of ways. He's just not completely in the shadows and completely operating on a different set of rules. He he's operating within the institutions and he's a public figure. And you know what both of them remind me of? Actually, I was thinking about this when we were talking about it earlier, is like the figure of the pirate. Oh, I really? feel like a lot of this is predicated on the figure of the pirate, where it's like, huh. I'm going to work outside of the system. I'm going to manipulate the system as it is. I'm heroic. I'm kind of sexy. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like playing according to the rules of what man really is, you know, outside of this kind of hypocritical sort of system of morality, I'm down with the real shit. And it's like the pirate, the mogul, the mob don, it's like that same thing where you still win. Yeah. Yes. But, but it's an anti-hero that still has money. I mean, I think the real, the real, like if somebody's like, 
you know what? I'm going to live outside the system because I don't care about money and I'm going to live right, in this right, hut. Right, 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 like, right. That's not that as fun. That would not be as sexy. No, no. <laughs> so there's still a way in which capitalism is the structure. We still yes. have like the product, the stuff. This is an but, interesting thought. Like I want to dive into this more, but we just don't have time. <laughs> just don't have time. But this is a really interesting thought about like the crimp, like the, the criminal, the figure of yes. the, yes, the criminal hero and how that's tied into masculinity. It, it's all yes. about masculinity and violence yes. and violence because violence is key to the pirate and the pirate's power and the pirate's glamour. But I feel like it's about violence, masculinity and money. Yeah. Like capitalism possession. I mean, I feel like that's the, to me, that's like the key of the Godfather. Yeah. And the reason that it vibrates onward through the generations, through every movie that comes after it. And it's interesting. There was a beautiful essay in the New Yorker a while back, really like well-reported story about the way in which the Italian government has been trying to take down all of these Sicilian mafia through working through the women mm. in these families. And one of the things that they talk about is how much they hate American mobster movies. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, American mobster movies have glamorized the shit. The shit is not glamorous. It's super fucked up. And we're like yeah. trying to fix it here. Thanks, guys. Um, but I feel like all of the glamour of The Godfather, the reason it's so influential is because you see Marlon Brando and then through his younger portrayal in Robert De Niro – as ultimately family oriented. Mm. I don't apologize for anything. I did what I had to, to take care of my family. Right. Like I love my wife and my kids. Like everything is about this kind of figure of the man, the caretaker, yeah. the caregiver. Like that's why he does this. And it gives permission for then this like glamorous lifestyle money, mm -hmm. possessions, yes, women. wealth, women, performance of wealth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like it, you definitely have to not just have it, but show and it. power. I, I mean, yes. I, I don't know if it's more about wealth or about, but like you need the power to get the wealth, but the wealth gives you power. Like it's both. And violence is the tactic mm -hmm. and masculinity is almost like, the reward. It's like peak masculinity. Ultimately, that's what toxic masculinity is. It's a competition. It's yes. who will be the alpha male. And the way you become that is by acquiring money and power and women more than yes. the other apes have, right? Right. And you justify it by saying, I'm taking care of my family right, here. Right, I'm taking right. care of these people. I'm feeding these people. Yeah. And it's interesting because I go back to Wall Street and think about the film is sort of juxtaposes these two options for Charlie Sheen's character, really. Mm. One is the Wall Street option where he's going to date a beautiful woman and live in a great apartment and be powerful and wealthy and do a lot of cocaine. Right. And the other option is like blue collar factory job where you're like wholesome 
but your right. blue collar factory job. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's not subtle. The film is not at all subtle in um, making it clear that, that the... Oliver Stone's <laughs> movies are never subtle. I, I think I, subtle is not, not oh, a, no. a word that you would <laughs> they, ever use yeah. to describe anything Oliver Stone ever fucking traffics in. It's ever. like... His, it's like the simplicity of a mind that can paint the world in that way. It's like, it's so, it's like a child, really. Anyway, I'm sorry. You know, this will get cut out. But when I was at NYU in a filmmaking class, we saw some of his student films from NYU. And uh, they're the same. <laughs> like, he, he did, like, he did a film about, Vietnam. He had come home from Vietnam and he did a right. film that was called like last year in Vietnam. And okay. it's cuts between like him on a balcony and like a tiger in a cage. <laughs> it just like cuts back and forth. Oh, God. And you're like, man, how did you not even grow out of this? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it's just, okay. Mm. All right. So it's not subtle. And Oliver Stone is... You know, very clear about how he's making a moral judgment that you got to go for the wholesome working class blue collar route, even though you will have less. But again, as with mafia movies, you don't walk away from that movie feeling like, oh, yes, I would definitely um, work in a manufacturing plant and that would be my life making $30,000 a year for the rest of forever. Like, you can't compare the glamour of the one choice, despite its moral wrongness and its uh, potential for imprisonment. You can't compare that with the mundanity of an actual regular job, like a schmo, like we all are. Well, like, which which at the end of Goodfellas, he's like, I'm just some schnook. I'm just some fucking loser. Although at the same time, The likelihood, it's sort of like when people get their like past life regressions, they were always some like queen in some earlier time. (laughs) Like nobody was, nobody, I mean, everybody imagines themselves the mafia Don. Nobody imagines themselves as like one of the button men who are like living on mattresses, like killing people or like as your job. Shop owner getting shaken down, even though you can barely pay your rent and that's right, and so forth. Um, yeah, that's the side the mafia movies don't typically show is who they're hurting with their crime. Uh, so yeah, other business mogul figures that I just wanted to address before we have to wrap up, yes, because I think it is a really interesting lens through which to look at Trump. Uh, one is Don Draper, who's not a business mogul per se, Mm. but what intrigues Mm. me about that character is the extent to which the series depicts a deeply, deeply troubled person who is grappling with really deep-seated issues and is destroying everyone and everything around him but how there is a certain segment of the audience who just see him as awesome. You know, he's suave, he's cool, he's in control. And that all centers around his competence, like as an ad man, which even that he kind of loses as he goes. Right. But, but it goes back to that idea of like the competence 
in business excusing all else. Well, also that masculinity is this weird mix of caregiving and winning Mm. and then fucking around. And like, it's this weird sort of life where you're both reinscribing the structures of the world while you don't play according to its rules. Ah, that's a really good point. It's like you're you're reinforcing the rules while you don't play along to them, which is what Trump does. Yes. Like I am reinforcing all these rules. I like you cannot get abortions, ladies. Right, Meanwhile, right. I'm like fucking hookers and like threatening porn stars and paying for abortions. I it's like, don't know why no one has come forward with Trump paid for my abortion. Probably because Michael Cohen paid them and they had to sign a thing. It's got to happen. Right. It's going to happen. Well, Karen McDougal just mm, yeah. got out of her NDA. We're just, they're just fact checking that story right now. That shit is I coming out any wait. day. And you know what? I don't even care. I don't care if there's nothing illegal or untoward about it. I want every fucking detail. I want every detail because I want every evangelical exactly. to like have to read it mm-hmm. and then be like, really guys, seriously, my friends. Also, I just want one of them to talk about how small his dick is. And how orange. Or or it doesn't even have to be that. It could be, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to body shame. I'm not. It it could just (laughs) be that he's like a terrible lover, whatever. Just something that would just truly piss him off. Something that he could not resist answering to. Yeah, he's got to be humiliated. Humiliate his masculinity. One other um, figure in this realm of the business mogul I want to talk about is Charles Foster Kane from Citizen Kane. I cannot believe this thing that you wrote <laughs> in our planning document. I'm still not like, I'm still not able to process that. So if you could take us okay, through that, because okay. that shit is fucking it's crazy. It's amazing. So Trump has cited Citizen Kane as being his favorite movie. Uh, I'm just going to leave that I for a second. Give you a do. moment with that. Um, it, it was in the context of like one of those Oscar broadcast things where they ask celebrities what their favorite movie is, you know, and they talk about it in front of a white screen and they cut it all together as like an interstitial thing, you know, when they come back from commercial. And Trump said Citizen Kane. Oh. Uh, and I, I uh, don't know who coached him to say that or where, where he came up with it, but it's just a, it's a fascinating thought. Because, of course, Citizen Kane is about a tremendously successful businessman, a extremely wealthy man who is a genuine mogul, which uh, Trump is not. <laughs> Trump right. plays one on TV. Right. But um, it's also, you know, the whole point of the movie is this psychological exploration of who Kane was because he's it's a frame tale he's died right. looking back on his life and who he was and what made him what he was and and the essence of it is that he is a fundamentally empty person all his wealth and power could never fulfill him because he he just hungered for something and y- implicitly it's love you know he's separated from his mother at a young age right maybe you know what does rosebud represent we could talk about that but maybe it's 
um, the freedom and whimsy of childhood, or maybe it's his mother's love. Uh, but either way, he has this emptiness inside him and he needs approval from the public. He runs for office, but loses right. because of a sex scandal. Right. And the whole reason he runs for office is because he, he has this need. He needs the people to love him because he's yes. such an inadequate yes. person. Because he's so empty. Yeah. Because he's so empty inside. And he's so unfulfilled. So I just, I, I thought that was a very interesting example of the figure of the business mogul, especially given that this right. is one that, that, like, you he, Trump can't say, like, Wall Street is my favorite movie, because, come on, like, he can't. But in a way, this is worse. Saying Citizen Kane right. is way worse. It's like a wealthy guy who runs for office for validation. Right. He has a sex scandal, so he tries to legitimize the woman that he's caught with by turning her talentless talentless. and like (laughs) and like embarrassing and childish it's like oh god and he but he infantilizes her and he but he tries to make her a legitimate singer in order to legitimize himself i mean that's the whole thing with charles foster kane it's this desperate need for some kind of legitimacy and the, if that's not Trump, I don't know what is. And that seems to be what he's stuck on. It's like he doesn't seem to realize that all of his corrupt business practices are about to meet the sunlight because he's still stuck on the fact that, like, he knows he's not legitimate. He knows yeah. Hillary had, like, more votes than him. It's like he's still so stuck on Here's that. Here's my question that was troubling me today, and we're not going to answer it, but I'm going to pose it. So Trump is not like really a powerful, wealthy businessman, right? He's a flim flam man. He's been yeah. spending his whole career like getting people to invest in bullshit oh, and then declaring oh, that was bankruptcy. Amazing, amazing article this week oh, really? about that guy who who was sort of the reporter for Forbes when they started having their like richest people in the oh, world. Oh, and he- yes. <laughs> and so, I mean, long story short, Trump calls the dude pretending to be someone else. John Barron? John Barron. Yes. This kid's yes. name Barron. Jesus Christ, man has no imagination. So he says, I'm John Barron. I'm a financial advisor to Donald Trump, and he's got $100 million. And so the, That's right. the Forbes guy publishes that, and it's completely not true. Trump didn't have even close to that amount of money. And the reason it's significant is not just that Trump pretended to be someone else and bullshitted this guy, but that he went and sought loans based off, look, Forbes says my net worth is $100 million. When it was something like $5 million. And in the article, he plays the original tapes, like the original voice messages. And you can tell that it's Trump clearly Trump trying to sound like somebody else. It's like so It's awful. It's awful. And that's his whole career is is bullshitting people and promoting the idea of himself as this business mogul that he is not so that he can fleece people. I mean, that's the essence yes. of it. Yes. And somehow and somehow he still doesn't have any money. Right. Right. Like right. He's been being this flim flam man and he's still like cash flow negative. Because it's about you're you're riding 
the you're riding this train where it's like you get loans in for a bullshit thing and then you declare bankruptcy on the thing so you don't have to pay back the loans you never actually have cash though you oh mm-hmm. it's yeah it, it, mm-hmm. it's it's all bullshit it, which is why you're stuck selling steaks right right, right, right. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's it's amazing. I, I think the only actual thing he money making thing he ever did was The Apprentice. Like he was on TV and was a TV star and made money off of that, which is great for him, I guess. But the question I have is: Does Trump believe that all business is that? Does he think that all rich people, all business moguls, all people who claim to be these captains of industry with all this wealth are just doing the same thing he's doing? and being con men? Or does he know that they're actually making money and he's just bullshitting and being a con man? Oh, so I think what you're saying is how delusional is Mm -hmm. he really? Kind of, kind of. How delusional? No, because that's the thing. At the end of the day, does he really believe it? Does he know he's a con man? And this makes me, this just to me brings me back to Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> did he know he was a con man? He did know he was a con man, like, but he didn't. At the same time, he was still constantly writing these things. And like, it's not like, oh, I'm making money now. I can rest and just like, have this money coming in. There's something inside him that still was writing the next crazy science fiction justification for what he was doing uh, well past the point at which this money was coming in. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? It was like a, a compulsion. Yeah. And it was a compulsion that there was part of him that really believed. Yeah. And I feel like there's part of Trump that must believe that everyone is like this, that everyone's a con man, that he really is rich, that he really is yeah. this character. He, I think he really is truly delusional. Hmm. And I think that the great con men of our time have to believe it's real. Mm. Because if they don't, they can't play the part. Oh, that's like uh, you're acting, acting 101, right? Theater class 101, yeah. you have to believe it or the audience won't. Well, all of my friends who are really successful actors, mm-hmm. and it made me realize why I could, why I was never able to be an actor, is that when they tell me about some parts they're playing or some shitty commercial they're in, they're never like, I'm doing this shitty commercial. Like, they never approach it with judgment. They're like, okay, so I'm playing a dressed up burrito who's like making copies, and they're so sincere about it because that's what they're playing you know what i mean yeah no that's you have to be all right i want to call it drunkometer i'm not i'm not into saucer meter it's fine buying it it's fine well i'm feeling very like loose i'm feeling like i could I could talk all night drunk. <laughs> Give me a number. Oh, it's definitely a five. Okay. I want to see if I can get to a six or a seven. Someday I'm You'll really going to get there. You'll get there. I believe in you. <laughs> I would say I'm also around a five. 
I feel very relaxed and like I'm gonna sleep like shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a bad night, but that's okay. Well, guys, I know that you all have thoughts about Trump as the mafia Don and his fixer Michael. And I, God, I just, I feel like there's such shitty versions right? of the movies. I mean, that's the thing. I almost feel bad for them, except that it's like our democracy that's on the line. Like, <laughs> they are the such joke version. Yeah. They are the, they are, it's a, it's really embarrassing. It's the clown version. Um, they are the clown version, but we know you guys have thoughts. So please write to us, saucepodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at Sauce Podcast. Rate us on iTunes. Yes, and write a review and on iTunes if you feel yes, like please. it. Yeah. Yes, please. Yes, please. Reviews are good. Yes, please. <laughs> um, you can find me at Maya Garantz anywhere that you find people. <laughs> yes, just Google Maya Garantz and you'll find her. you find some crazy shit if you Google Maya Garantz, let me tell you. You will find some very thought-provoking material <laughs> if you google rebecca cohen oh my god you'll find so many accomplished jewesses but if you want to find <laughs> me specifically i would go to twitter um i'm at gynostar on twitter and i am at gynostar on instagram and you can find my web comic at gynostar.com all right well we will be back next week with more thought-provoking shit we are always open towards you guys uh asking us to break some stuff down for you yeah, suggest some topics come on bring it on bring it on and we look forward to uh seeing you next week adios amibas. buzz